Jesus, we come before you today. We thank you that you are here, and we ask that you would speak to us. We don't want to just come to church. We want an encounter with the divine God Almighty. So we, we say yes to you, and we ask that you would speak and move in our lives. And everyone said? Amen. Be seated. No, no yeah. Be seated, please. Do what? Everybody stand. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you, band. You guys can be dismissed, please. Well, as fun as that was, I, need, I want us to change modes real quick because there's a debate going on in our country right now that has stayed outside the walls of this church that I want to bring in here. It's very controversial. You've probably seen it on the news, the real news, the fake news, the medium news, all the news. It's on social media. I've debated it with my good friends and my wife and I actually debated it at home. And so I want to talk about this controversy because it's, it's been far too long that the church is not weighed in on things that are of great importance in this nation, Right? So I want to know, when you listen to this, what do you hear, Yanni or Laurel? Now here's the deal. Hold on. Hold on. For those of you who have no idea why people are groaning, there is a debate right now. They play a video, and the, someone says something, and 50% of people hear one thing, and 50% of people hear the other thing, and both think the other is crazy. So let's settle this debate. Go ahead. Anybody in here hear Yanni? Isn't that so strange? Who in here has, can actually hear and hears Laurel? Right? So here's the deal. There's, uh, there's, there's actually, that's good. There's an opera singer that uh, vocabulary.com hired opera singers to record just words. And so if you go to vocabulary.com to the word Laurel, you'll hear that exact voice saying Laurel. The only thing is there are people out there who don't hear Laurel, they hear Yanni. And it, it's mind-blowing. Literally, people can hear the same thing and have different interpretations and swear by it. Which is why we're talking about the Bible today. Because no other book in the world that people heard and read the same thing and swore they read something different than the other person read, and everyone says, no, this is what I heard. This is what I read. And so we're going to be studying the Bible today. We're going to look at Acts 17. Let's go ahead and put that up there and read it. Paul and Silas are traveling around the countryside. We got, we got Acts 17. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those of Thessalonica. They had received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, and as did also a number of prominent Greek men and women. Go back one, one slide. Here we read about this group called the Bereans, and we read a few things about them. They're interesting. Um, it says in here in the Bible that they have a more noble character, and when the Bible says that someone has more noble character, I want to know why. I want to know why, what makes their, their, uh, their character more noble. And it gives us two reasons or outcomes here. It says, they eagerly received God's message and they examined the scriptures daily. And I would say that the reason they eagerly received the message was because they examined the message daily, because they examined God's word. At the heart of these people, the Bereans, 
we find that they loved and studied the word of God. And as a result of that, we see this more noble character about them. So we're talking about the Bible, known as the scriptures, or the word of God, or God's word, depending on where you're from. And it's amazing how different cultures treat the Bible, isn't it? Did you know right now there are churches that are underground, like secret churches, and they have, a, they have just a fragment of some of the Bible, and think about how they treat that Bible compared to how we treat a Bible that's in every hotel room and every house. And I have a friend of mine that goes here, and she goes to Asia, and her, one of the things that she does, she believes in, 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 in getting the Bible into everyone's hands around the world, and so she will travel to Asia, go to China, and in the middle of the night, they will sneak to the North Korean border. When the wind is correct, they will inflate these with helium and send the book of John. It will float over into North Korea. Can you imagine being in a rice field or in your backyard or at work or somewhere and this falls down and you go to read it? In the beginning was the word, Jesus. What? Can you imagine how you would feel about this Bible if this was what you received? Isn't it amazing how they would receive that and look at it differently than we do? Isn't it amazing? How do, we, how do we view the Bible in this culture? How do, how do we in America uh, treat the Bible? I'm from Placida, which is halfway between Redstone and Marble. You guys been there? Don't blink. Well, I grew up there my whole childhood and even into high school. And, and so for my entire life, I would get in the car and be driven through the Crystal Valley, Crystal River Valley. And then when I was in high school, I would drive it on my own. Do you know how many times I've made that drive? And do you, know how, you guys know how beautiful that drive is? Right? I stopped looking. Something happened to me when I grew up there. You see, I went away to college, and I went to college in a town called Plainview, which is perfect. It had a plain view. And then I went to, to, when I went to Atlanta, and my view was traffic and smog, and at night you couldn't see stars because of all the lights. And when I moved back here, I made that Crystal River Drive that I have made hundreds of times, and I, I was like one of those people from Texas that visits, just <laughs> looking up, going slow, there's locals honking behind me, all that stuff. I couldn't believe this is where I grew up. You see, at some point in my life growing up in, um, in Placida, I got so familiar with the scenery, I stopped looking up. And there's some of us, amen, there's some of us that grow so familiar with the Bible, we stop looking up. We get so familiar with it, we stop looking up. The Bible gathers more dust than study time. The Bible might have a place on your shelf, but it has more, more room on your shelf than it has in your heart. We've become familiar with God's word, and out of our familiarity, we don't look at it the way some other cultures are, or even how God intended it. And so today, I want to talk about this, this book, and my goal is very easy. I'm going to tell you the point of this whole thing. I want you to read the Bible. I want you to get into God's word. I'm, I'm, I'm unashamed about what I want to happen today. We're gonna talk about the Bible, and my hope is that as you hear this, you'll think, I'm gonna try that again. I'm gonna get in the word and read, and here's the reason why. There's a lot of things about God's word that are amazing, that we lose track of, we lose sight of. It's a, it's a lot more than just a compilation of, of letters and words. In this book, to the grieving, it gives comfort. To the comfortable, it calls them to a new kind of life. To the lonely, it, it, it calls us to love and intimacy. For those in hardship, it gives us hope that all things work to the good of, of our God. To those who are afraid or anxious, it calls us to peace. God is called in 2 Thessalonians 3.16, the God of peace who gives peace at all times and in every way. The Bible calls us to this great peace. 
For those who are stressed or overwhelmed, it gives us God's perspective. It gets you out of your own perspective and gives you a godly perspective and grit to keep on going. For those of us lacking knowledge, this book can give us wisdom and guidance. And for for struggling with temptation, well, let me just read this. It says in James 4 or 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The word of God is a defense against the temptation of the enemy. So much so that when Jesus was here on earth, Before he started his public ministry, he went out to be with his father and he fasted for 40 days and he prayed. And it was during that time when he was at that low that the enemy came to him and tried to tempt him. And every time the enemy tempted him, how did Jesus respond? How did he say no to temptation? With the word of God. Jesus used God's word as a defense against the enemy. Jesus, who's fully God, used the Bible as his weapon against temptation. And that alone should inspire us and show us the importance of God's word. Anybody in here deals with temptation, the Bible is a good thing to go to. In fact, I would say this, the more I grow up, the more I realize that my best defense against the enemy is not my willpower, but the power of God. And the Bible is indispensable when it comes to me living the kind of life that he would call me to live. In fact, there are specific verses that I have memorized just to help me with this. You know, uh, Job 31.1, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look on any woman with lust. Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, I will, listen, in my anger, I will not sin. I won't let the sun go down on my anger and give the enemy a foothold. Or James 1.9, I'm working on this one in my marriage, be, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. You see, the word of God is vital for anyone who wants to live the life that God would have for them. Don't be fooled. The Bible, no matter how old it is, is not irrelevant. Is the nature of the divine creator, is that irrelevant to us? Is the nature of the divine God irrelevant? Is love and joy and peace and justice and hope, are those virtues irrelevant? No. The word of God is not irrelevant and it's not dead. In fact, Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is alive and it is active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates in even dividing the soul and the spirit. It penetrates to a part of our life that that nothing else can get to. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. It's alive, it's active, it's powerful, it's effective, it's relevant, and it helps me grow. It reveals my heart and my attitude, and it calls me to godliness. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting, and training me for right living. Why? so that I can be thoroughly equipped for every good work God would have for me. That's what this book does. That's what God has put in here. This book is glorious. It reveals the divine nature of our God. And I know for many of you, you might be here today and you left the church because of that book. Someone told you, or you read something, and you're, I'm done with that. If that's the entry exam to Christianity, I'm done. I want to ask this. Let's, let's reframe this book. This book is less a book about laws and do's and don'ts. It is a book of, it's a love letter from our God. And Jesus has said that that book is summed up, and you hear us say this all the time, that book is summed up by this, love God and love people. That book calls us to love God with all our heart and our soul, mind and strength, and to love others as we love ourselves. And so no matter what your experience with the Bible is, today I'm gonna ask you to put aside some of that and look again at what God might have for you within this because this book is glorious. It reveals his nature. But I know what we're thinking. I know. 
Because we've all at some point probably tried to read that book, right? And then you got into Numbers or somewhere in the Old Testament and you're like, what? I mean, we've, tried, we've all tried at some point. And you might say, Daniel, that's great. It's inspiring words. But uh, every time I open the Bible, it's just confusing. I don't get it. I don't get any out of it. I, I try to go get a verse for the day and I post a picture on Instagram with my coffee. Which, which brings me to a great, uh, this, this is old proverb, ancient proverb that says this. If a millennial girl reads the Bible and doesn't post a picture of it on her Instagram, did she actually read the Bible? <laughs> did she? Come on now. <laughs> so how do, we, how do we get into this Bible? How do we read the Bible for maximum impact? Well, I'm glad you asked. And I'll tell you about a friend of mine in answer to that. I have a friend named Aaron Schaefer who is an incredible hunter. And he's not just an incredible hunter, he's an incredible cook. He cooks what he hunts. And so he has researched all this stuff and we'll go up to, we'll go camping or something and he will come with all these accoutrements and about noon on some day, he'll pull out this bag and like a mad scientist, he just starts mixing all these things in this bag and he makes this dirty brown looking water in a bag. And if you were to watch him doing that, you would wonder, what are you doing? But he goes to his cooler and he pulls something out, elk steaks. I don't know if you've never had elk steak. Elk steak is delicious. And then Aaron has the nerve to take those elk steaks and put them in that bag of water. Seals it up, gives it a shake, and puts it away. Now what's happening in that time before he pulls it out is it's taking on the flavor and the aroma of all those things. And in fact, um, when he takes those steaks out, you can smell it. When he puts them on the grill, that sizzle, you 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 can almost taste it. And then when you do get to bite in the elk steak, you can taste the marinade. The, the, The elk has taken on the flavor of the marinade. And so when we're reading God's word, the greatest thing I can tell you is that don't just read the Bible to get through it. Read the Bible and marinate your soul and your mind and your heart in it. Take on the flavor of God's nature. We want to we marinate in God's word. We want to slow down and read it so that our thoughts, our mind, and our heart are marinating in his truth. And when we marinate in the truth of God, we take on the nature of that. We take on the flavor and the aroma of heaven. So let's begin to see God's word as more than just a fortune cookie. We're not just going through it looking for a good one-liner. We're not just going through looking for a nugget. We, we read it to find the heart of God. We want to read the Bible at the speed of relationship because that's what it is. We read God's word to find the heart of our creator, the heart of the divine God of the universe. So we read the Bible at the speed of relationship and there's things that are in the Bible. It's like a treasure hunt. There's things hidden in here of God's nature. You know, for my wife, I, I, um, I hide notes around the house for her. She, she loves lists. I, I have no lists anywhere in my life, anywhere unless she gives me one, but she lives on a list. And so she has all these lists and I'll go through her pad of paper and I'll write a love note like, an inch inch in you know that's I don't know how long it takes her to get there and she'll eventually find this note and the whole thing is I'm hiding love notes for her I'm not hiding love notes from her I don't hide things from my wife I hide things for my wife to find and in God's word he hides things for us he doesn't hide things from us God's word is a love note and he has hidden his heart in there for us to find The word of God is how we find his divine nature. And as we marinate in that, we take on that nature. You can tell a person who is marinated in God's word. You've probably come into contact with these people. Oftentimes when somebody is marinating in the word of God, you don't see them in their study time, but you see the effects of it. 
And we all know these people who are going through an incredible hard time where there's a tragedy, tragedy, yet they walk with a peace that surpasses understanding. Have you seen these people? Yeah? Have you ever been that person? Or God gives you an extra measure of peace? When you are soaking in God's patience and love and goodness and marinating in his, his, his strength and his grit and, and his peace, those things soak into you. Have you ever seen those people that when things are going terrible, they have a joy and a buoyancy in their heart? And they're not lunatics, they're not crazy. You're seeing the effects of them marinating their heart. And like the Bereans, we see that noble character coming out as the word of God is seeking and seeping its way into their, in the core of who they are. We've seen these people. Um, here's a quote for us. And it's a quote that holds great truth. You can't give to others what you do not have yourself. And when it comes to marinating in God's word, one of the most important reasons to marinate in God's word is that those things get in us and they effortlessly pass through us. Have you ever tried to give comfort and hope to somebody when you didn't feel it? Have you ever tried to give peace and joy to somebody who had a tragedy but you don't have any? And it's just kind of empty words and platitudes and bumper stickers. Let go and let God, I don't know, like do that. Have you ever tried? But when you have, when you have marinated in God's word and you are a person of peace because his character has, has soaked into your character, you can pass on peace. You can pass on love. You can pass on strength and comfort. If it's not in you, you can't give it to other people. The uh, uh, theologian from the 1600s, I love this quote, John Owen says this, if the word of God does not dwell with power in us, it will not pass with power from us. If the word of God does not dwell with power in us, it will not pass with power from us. And that's a huge responsibility that I want the word of God to seep down, seep down into the core of who I am, into my character, so that it can come out in power. I want that in me, and especially as a father, if you are a parent in this, you know, one of the greatest gifts we can give our kids is a love for God's word. My little daughter, she has like seven verses memorized, and Eli's got like 10, and it's not about how many they memorize because I don't want them just to know God's word in their mind. I want them to love God's word in their heart. And the greatest gift I can give them is to show them a dad who has God's word dwelling within me in power because then I can pass it on with power, that they see the supernatural patience and love that their father hopefully has the greatest gift you can give your children is to love and marry it in the word so that they see that and they know that and they, they love the word themselves. Marry it on God's word. Don't just speed read it. Think on it. Sleep on it. Feel what the writer is feeling. Search for God's heart within the stories. Find his nature in between the history. Take one verse and take it for an entire day or even more and think of it as often as you can. Pray through it as often as you can. I, I would take a verse and put it in my pocket on a piece of paper and I would always know it's in there. I'd pull it out and read it. Or I would put sticky notes all over my office, my car, my, my mirror, wherever I would be to remind me of that verse and I would try to marinate my mind and heart in it all throughout the day. My wife, she puts a verse on the, on the front of her phone. Do you know how often you look at your phone? Take a verse with you, mar marinate it throughout the day. It will change your, your life, your thoughts, your attitudes, and your character as it, as it seeps into you. And finally, choose to marinate on God's word. And here's why. Because honestly, you are marinating your character in something. Your heart, your mind, right now are marinating in something. And oftentimes we get that, that marination bag of our life and we pour in some childhood woundedness 
and we pour in some betrayal, we pour in some work conflict, we pour in some, some arguments we're trying to go over in our head, we, we pour in some insecurities, we pour in some things in our life that, uh, that get to us, and then we, we marinate our heart and mind in that. You are marinating your heart and mind in something. Choose the, the more noble thing. Choose God's word. Instead of marinating on the problems and the woundedness, marinate on God's, on God's strength, his peace, his love. If you take someone's character and marinate two people and marinate them, one, one in, the, in the bitterness of, of their past and one in, in, the, in God's word, you will see outcomes down the road. You will see a difference in each person's character. We become what we marinate in. So I would encourage you, you're, you're marinating in something. Consider this, one of those calls to make it God's word. You see, God's word has been a part of my life since I can remember. When I was a kid, my parents would spend hundreds of hours reading to me these stories from the Bible. My dad at one point would pay me $5 for every book of the Bible I read, which was awesome when you're like in 1 John or something like that. But then you get these really long books and it's not, yeah, anyway, that's a good source of income for a kid from Placida back in the day. But my dad would say something to me. He would say, Daniel, five minutes a day with God can change your life. Now, he didn't say five minutes a day with God can change your day. He didn't say five minutes with God changes those five minutes. He said, my son, five minutes with God a day changes your life. And what he was showing me is as I continually begin to marinate in God's word daily, consistently, my character is transformed. The Bereans saw this. They were a people of more noble character because it says daily they were in the word. So I want to challenge us to be like them, to step into this, to daily marinate in God's, God's word. And you will see the aroma and the taste of his character in your life. To, uh, to illustrate this, I'm going to bring up one of my friends. Trav, come on up. It's Travis Stewart. You guys might know him. Good friend of mine. Give him the microphone. Trav's going to help me today. We've known each other for a little bit. Trav, give him a little introduction on who you are. Good morning, Orchard. How's everyone doing? Good, good. Well, for those I haven't met, my name is Travis Stewart. Uh, I'm blessed to live here in Carbondale with my wife, Cresta, and our two amazing children. And um, my story starts yeah. in York, Pennsylvania. Uh, I was raised uh, Catholic. We went to the Catholic Church. We were part of the 7.30 a.m. crew, so it was bright and early mornings for us. Yeah. I consider myself a fully credentialed Catholic. Uh, I went to my first communion. I've been confirmed, and my wife and I were married in the Catholic Church. So we got um, a heavy dose of that growing You're up. You're all in. Yeah, had a nice. normal, normal childhood. Um, we believed in God, we believed in Jesus. Um, was, was blessed to have a great family. Mm -hmm. um, I will say though, in, in looking back, that's where you, know, you can start to, to feel that disconnect um, that we often feel where you go to church on Sunday mm -hmm. and you talk about God and then the rest of the week, you, it's really not a subject you discuss. And I, I felt uh, from you know, spending time with friends and other families. That was kind of the norm, uh, kind of the culture that, that we were in at the time. So, so how did you view the Bible growing up? Um, the Bible for me was, um, of course, we attend Mass. We'd get um, three readings in, in a typical Mass. It'd be an Old Testament reading, uh, one of the letters of the New Testament, and, of, of course, the Gospel followed by the homily. So, so it was something that um, I was familiar with, um, but I will say, given the reverence of the Catholic Church, which oftentimes is beautiful, um, I still think about that occasionally, and uh, the, the ritual um, that we place so much focus on in that church, that to me the Bible is kind of like the Ark of the Covenant. 
Like if I touched <laughs> it, I was probably going to fall dead, right? Unless I was one of God's people. Yeah. So I was, it didn't feel available to me um, that I could just pick it up and start reading it. And I think you, you mentioned the hotel room. I think I had more encounters with the Bible in hotel rooms opening the drawer than I did probably in my daily life growing yeah. up. That's yeah. true for a lot of us. So tell me how that began to change your view of God's word. So um, I, I think what, what st- really fundamentally changed like, my view of the Bible is uh, in 2010, I was going through a really tough time professionally, uh, as many people in the Valley and, mm-hmm. and our country were. And I was on the phone with my older brother, who's, um, who has a lot of wisdom, and, uh, and his life has been changed by God. And so he was, he was giving me great advice, and he said something that really stuck with me. And, and those that have brothers or sisters, you'll know what I'm talking about. It sounds something like, hey, dummy, the, the Bible is what God has given us. It's the one thing we know is from him. And it's got his love and his joy mm-hmm. and his hope for us in there. And you should embrace that. And so that, that changed my view of the Bible. And um, what ultimately changed my focus mm-hmm. on the Bible is I've tried to read it. I'm sure, I mean, who in here hasn't tried to start reading the Bible? Who's you, tried to start reading the Bible all the yeah. way through? Yeah. Yeah. yeah some, you get at like, some point. As Dan mentioned, if you can make it to numbers, you get the numbers <laughs> and you're like, what is going on here? So uh, it's difficult. You know, I even had this amazing growth group. Watch not, it. I don't want to name any names. Watch it. I won't. I won't embarrass anybody. You don't. But uh, we, we decided, you know what, we're all going to get together. We're going to read First John. And we're going to hold each other accountable, and this is what we're going to do. And we didn't make it through the book. I think we made it through like four days. So oh, it's tough. It, it happens. So, but this changed, something changed for you in the fall. Last it fall. did. It did. And uh, it was your sermon on the Messianic prophecies. And to me, that sermon in itself, it blew my mind. I mean, it was, you, made, you had numbers, and I'm pretty sure you made up some statistics. Always. To go with that on the spot to convince us, but it was like 360 Messianic prophecies. Do you all know that? I didn't know that. You did know that. Okay, you read your Bible. That's good. We've got one. Um, don't sell her, everyone no. else. Okay. Exactly, yes. All right, gotcha. No, so, you know, I was amazed. I was embarrassed, to be honest. I've spent my entire life going to church to some degree or another in Bible studies and growth groups. And then, you know, as a result of that, I was motivated. I was motivated to become more obedient to God. To, to take the one thing we all have, and it's something we hold so tightly, we don't let it go, it's our time, oh. right? I, I, God, the, the creator of the universe was nudging me saying, you need to trust me with your time. Huh. And I did what any reasonable person would do, is I, I got on Google, <laughs> and I, I said, what's the best way to read the Bible? Apparently I'm not doing this right, so. And, and, and Dan's going to share maybe some of the resources. Yeah, so, so, what, um, so um, you started, you got on Google, gave you some ways to do that. What's the first thing you noticed when you started trying to make this reading your priority? You know, um, it, it became a priority for me. Huh. I think it's the perfect word for it, is I found myself being more obedient to God, and I found myself, it wasn't that I had to say, this is my time to read the Bible, and then if I, if I hit that time or missed that time, it was my success or not. I found myself saying, I can't re- wait to, to continue the story. And whether it was at lunch, I had five minutes, or it's in the morning when it's quiet, or, or in the, even in the evening. So I found myself making it a priority to, to read and, and to continue yeah. what I learned from the day before. That's awesome. Um, what began to stand out to you or surprise you as you began to read these books of the Bible? Yeah, I think there's two things that really stood out to me thus far, and I'm not finished yet, so maybe like in right. a year. We we'll come back, back in a year. Here. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, the first one is, there's this pattern or the cycle you see when you read the, the Bible. And so I, I started from 
Genesis, and I'm, I'm in the Old Testament right now. And it's the cycle that, I mean, the, you have a people, God's chosen people, who have history, and they, I mean, God dwelt among them, right? They're following this column of smoke. And so what more representation do you have is something right in front of you. And, and given all this history and all these events and miracles, they still continue to drift away hmm. to, to start living a life of sin. And then they find themselves ultimately in this horrible place, right? The, yeah. the quality of life isn't good. They, they're just, they're not happy. They're, they're living in sin. And then eventually a prophet or a king or someone bright said, hey, wait a minute, we need to, we need to turn our hearts back to God. Mm-hmm. And they would repent. And what would God do? He would forgive them. And I think that's the thing is uh, you look at this pattern over and over. It makes me think of our own lives. I mean, Daniel on Sunday can give a sermon about giving grace to people who tailgate you driving down Catherine Store Road. Monday afternoon when I've got someone tailgating, where's the grace, right? (laughs) You, you, You lose it. And so I think to... To understand how that slide happens, to see yeah. historical evidence is, is really important. And the second thing is, um, I mentioned I have a brother. So I'm a younger brother. I, I'm like, I, and I remind him of this all the time, <laughs> is do you see what the younger brothers in the Bible are doing about their older <laughs> brothers with their birthright? I mean, it's over and over again. And really what it gets into then, and I think Jesus um, hammers at home, is that it doesn't matter what you're born into, what your background is, how much money you have, whatever that is. God's for all of us. Yeah. He loves all of us and wants to forgive all of us. That's true. And that's, yeah. He loves an underdog. Yep. He helped, that's right. That's As truth. you continue to read the Bible, what stood out to you? I think, um, so I'm, I'm with the Israelites still, and the, the two things that stand out to me there, are, one is things never happen like, according to the timing that they want. Right? So think about this. You're in Egypt. You, you, you uh, witness all of these um, you know, things that God is putting on the, the Pharaoh, mm-hmm. you know, the plagues. And so you see all this. Then the Passover occurs. You, you know, go through the Red Sea and manna's brought to you from heaven. All these incredible miracles. You got to think, he's going to teleport us to the promised land. That's a two-day I mean, two day trip. Yeah, yeah, right? It's like from, from Aspen to here or here to Grand Junction or however. And it takes him a generation to get there. Right? Can you imagine that weight? You've witnessed these things. And so that's number one is the timing. Number two is how things occur. Mm. And so often in our own lives, we don't trust God with what's going on, right? So, and that's the confusing part about, I think sometimes with faith is that God gave us intellect and brains to figure things out and do that. So when do I decide to use that? Right. And when do I decide to, to actually trust God? Right. And I think reading the word has helped me sort of navigate that a little more. Right. You just always trust God. Well, it's cool to see the Travis said, like, you know, that things don't happen the timing we want with God. They don't happen the way we want with God. And you apply that directly to your life, and you see, you, you know, we each have these issues, and we're waiting for God to do it our way in our timing. Yep. And we see this example in the Bible that it doesn't. Um, but it gives us the hope of his promise, which is something else that you've talked about, just God's promise throughout the Bible and how beautiful that was. Absolutely. How yeah. has reading this Bible changed your day, thoughts, attitudes, actions, and beliefs? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, what I would say is, you know, I think of God as the creator of the universe. He knows all, sees all, can do anything he wants. But the one thing he will not do is he will not make us love him. That's true. Right? And it's just like in our lives. You can't make people love you. We have to choose to love God. And I think in that obedience. And so, you know, um, coming from a Catholic, this is going to sound funny, but it's remarkably simple, right? Because you don't have to say so many our fathers, pass the test, you know, get the sign off from the bishop. It, it's just about the relationship you have with him, right? right? And so I would ask all of you in your own lives, how are those relationships working out where you never take the time to get to know somebody, 
I mean, Dan mentioned earlier about doing more listening and less speaking, right? To get to know what makes someone tick, whether it's a spouse, a friend, a loved one, a child, chances are that relationship's not a relationship. It's right. a one-way street. Right. And so to me, this reading the Bible is just one way that I can show God, you know, I'm all in and I, and I want to hear, please speak to me. So this has caused you to view this more as a relationship, that's exactly give and right. take. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. Um, what's the one thing that's changed most in you since starting to read this? Um, I would say really just being more obedient, just trying to, you know, it's like a step. And I see in this step, you just start connecting the dots, right? Sermons start to make more sense. That's you start great. Doing those things, you're, you're the sermons right. make more sense. Yeah, I like right. that. Some, some of the sermons make more sense. Um, ah, don't encourage him. Don't ask for the sermon on 1 don't John. En- don't encourage him. Right, we didn't. We didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, God wants us to be obedient. Yeah. Right. And I know that that's a funny word sometimes. Right. I mean, and I, I think you, you know what it means in your heart. Ask yourself, what does it mean for me to be obedient to God? Mm. Yep. That's good. And finally, what would you tell us listening here today? How would you challenge us? Yeah, I would say is if you haven't started, start. If you started and stopped, start again. It's not as difficult. I mean, if if I can figure this out, I know you can. And so I know Dan's going to uh, Dan's going to share some resources I've used. Uh, they've helped me. I know there's you know you can either use balloons that are sent to you in rice patties. You can use technology Absolutely. books, uh, but but start because if once you continue, it it will it will make a difference. It's made a difference in my life, and uh, I would challenge you. Please start. That's awesome, Travis. Thank Dan, you. Thanks a bunch. Give him a hand. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, as I as I finish up here, I want to talk about uh, first of all. The way Travis has been doing this, and we have some pictures he's going to flash up here. He uh, went to Olive Tree. You can search that on your own. We'll put some of these resources online and Facebook later. But Olive Tree, and you can see the Bible on the left, and um, that's actually today's reading about Pentecost where he, he has for us. And on the right, you'll see that's a commentary. So he got a commentary. So Travis, like, he wanted to read the Bible, but the stuff he doesn't understand, he goes over to the commentary. And he said, through that, he has learned so much. Keep going. Um, you can just see these are the daily readings at the top. There's a green bar, and, and, and all of us love to, um, to check things off at some level. So he Trav goes, I love reading the Bible, and as I read it, the green bar fills up, and when I push the button, bing, you've read. He says instant gratification. He's done with it. And so then next slide is this. Uh, this is a different one we want you guys to look at called The Bible Project. And each of these uh, different books of the Bible, they have a video. You can go to the video and a little reading for it. There's the reading, and they make sense of, of Genesis, and they tell you about that. But the next, next slide is a picture from the video. And all these videos, they take these books of the Bible that are so complicated, and, and they do it step by step. That looks crazy complicated, but they do it step by step and show you what, a, what, the, what that book of the Bible would be. There's so many resources. Um, we would encourage you guys to find something, version Bible app or, or Read Scripture Bible app, Olive Trees with Trav uses, the Bible Project. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. It matters that you're in it. And so to close this, I'm going to close with two, two things that I would want us to be at the orchard. And the first one has to do with this. You know, when a baby is first born, it, it can't feed itself, shockingly. It needs its mom. And then, then it needs a bottle. You know, and, the, and, then, and then the baby grows and it can sit up and it got the little bumby and all that stuff. And, and then you can feed it. And you feed it the little spoonfuls of mush. And there comes a day where that baby grows up enough where it can grab the spoon and eat on their own. The baby becomes a... Yeah, mu- <laughs> There's some moms just getting slain in the spirit right now. And, uh, Lord, do it, Jesus. When that baby learns to feed itself, when, it, when that baby becomes a self 
feeder. You have an extra hour of your day that you can actually be doing stuff while the baby's feeding itself. And our hope here is that the orchard, we become self-feeders on God's word. That we come here and we feed on the word during Sundays, but during the week, like Trav said, we are out of love, we are obeying God and finding his nature in his word and feeding on our own. And like he said, when you are reading God's word, getting his character within you, and you come to hear a sermon, it, 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 my sermons will be even better can you imagine that? You can, yeah. And they, so we want you to be a self-feeder. We challenge you with that, to go and begin to, to feed yourself on God's word. The second thing is this. Be a doer. James 1, says this. Don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. And so you've heard a word today from God, and we would say don't merely listen to this word and leave and do nothing and deceive yourself. Hear this and go, go do it. Go read God's word. And then when you read something in God's word, be a doer of that. When you read Jesus say, love and pray for your enemies, don't just read it and deceive yourself. Actually pray and begin loving your enemy. Become a doer. Become a self-feeder. This is the stuff that we want to happen here because our hope is, and Charlie says this, that we would be a church. We would be a church that has noble character. And we will be a church that, that as we get to know God's character more and more, and as we marinate in it, and as we take on the aroma and flavor of heaven, the community begins to notice that there is, there is more grace and more love and more justice in these people. They have noble character as they are loving God and loving people. So Orchard, let us go forth and let us reframe the Bible. Let's reframe the Bible as a love letter from God with treasure hidden in there for you to find and that as you marinate in it, you have the aroma and the taste of heaven itself sinking into your character. As we go into communion today and as we uh, take the, the, the symbol of Jesus' blood and his body, I want to remind you, we have an open communion table. There's no class you have to take to participate today. Jesus himself said that, um, do this in remembrance of me. So if you would like to remember Jesus, I would encourage you to take um, the communion. And when you sit down, just thank Jesus for all he's done. Thank him for, his, for the word. And then ask his spirit to reveal to you what it would look like. What would it look like for you to begin to engage in his word and marinate in that? And let's worship God as we sing. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation of God's love within it. I pray that the orchard would be known as a people. If ever it was written about us, it would say the orchard people were of more noble character because they were found in God's word daily. I pray your spirit would pursue us. I pray that you, he would draw us to your word and you would open it up for us. Hear our prayers now as we, as we sing. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.